It can be so difficult to be honest and accurate. And so I'm, I want to hit something very significant today, and it's this concept of being believable. And so I really believe that one of the things that the church needs now is to be more believable than it ever has. And so it's even funny when I say it, I'm saying I need to believe that we are going to be believable. And here's the crux of it. Most of us as Christians are liars. And so I know we don't want to admit it, but if I could ask you a question, I want you to be as honest as you can right now. Have you ever lied before? I mean, can you imagine if we were at church right now, we're all sitting there and we said, hey, stand up if you're a liar. We, I mean, we'd rather say, hey, I wet the bed or something than to stand up and say, I'm a liar. And yet we have. We'll even lie about being a liar because we don't want to be categorized as one. There's something really significant to understanding why it is that we will lie about lying. And what, what's kind of interesting is that if you can admit you're a liar, then you're on the first step to not being one or being known as one. I can remember where I first learned this lesson. I was only about four or five years old, and I was in the Plymouth Valiant with my mom and my younger brother and sister. We were heading down to Roosevelt Elementary School to take my brother's lunch. He was in school, somehow I'd forgotten it. So my mom pulls up in the front of the school and she says, hey, wait here. And she runs in to take the lunch to my older brother. And so I'm sitting in the front seat, younger siblings. Those weren't the days where we had car seats, but they're in the back. And when my mom stepped out, she just said, wait here to run in. She left her lighter right there by her uh, driver's seat. And so I picked it up, this little four-year fire. I mean, it was like a little caveman seeing, you know, the opportunity for fire. I picked it up and I started, it was the old things where you had to actually cook off the lid and spun the thing and the flame came up. And it was just so amazing to me to get to have that lighter for some reason. So I just kept looking at it. Then I got bored, so I decided I'd see if I could burn a hole in the ceiling of the car. So, you know, I got it closer and closer to see if, and I can tell you uh, the ceilings in cars will burn if you put the fire up to them. And I mean, it, it just started burning. So then I had to put it out and it was smoldering. And just about that time, I see my mother coming back to the car. So I quickly closed it, the lighter, put it down, scooted over and just did that silent look, you know, where you, you're basically trying to hide. So she gets in the car and she just starts sniffing. And I know I'm toast at that point. And she said, did you play with my lighter? And I mean, I don't know what else I could do. I just said, no. And she said, well, then why is my lighter hot? And I thought, well, how did I get out of this? And I said, I don't know. And then she's looking up and there's a hole <laughs> in the ceiling. I mean, that hole in that ceiling was just yelling at me, liar, liar, you're wrong, you know you're going to get nailed. And my mother, instead of saying, I know you did, look at the hole. She said, you know, Marty, it's very important for me to know that you're going to be safe and that I can trust you. And then she just dropped it. I want, it's important for me to know that you're going to be safe and that I can trust you. And this little kid, some, there's this huge giant shift in my life. I, I know it sounds weird, but at that point, I really did want to be able to step into this thing of being trustworthy, being a good person. I wanted to be safe and help others to be safe. All that landed in that very little moment. And so I'm, I'm excited to be able to share with you the significance of being believable today because what people are really looking for is what can we trust in. 
everything's crazy around us. It always has been. What can we really lean into, trust, and know that's going to work? And most of us, we don't mind being adventurous. We don't mind stepping out, but we really do want to be safe. And in that, I think there's a sense that what we need is a sense of being good, of doing good things, of putting the right things into motion. We're going to look at the book of John today, chapters 10 through 12. And this book is fascinating. I hope you enjoyed the message last week. I really did with Eddie. He spoke on believing. He hit three different areas of what the believing looks like, whether or not we can believe in an intimate relationship with God the Father, whether or not we can trust in Jesus, whether or not we can believe enough to embrace the Holy Spirit. Uh, those were my takeaways. It was a, a great message. And I'd already written this uh, message for today on being believable. And I thought, do I really need to do that after Eddie hit it so well? And I think it's fair to do it. In the book of John, 81 different times the word belief is used. In the New Testament, belief is used about 217 times. Um, and the word that's used in the New Testament for uh, belief is from the uh, word pistas, and the verb form of that is pistuo. And what's really fascinating about John, not only does he use it a lot, again, 80, 81 times, I believe, I counted them all and read them all, but he doesn't use pistas, he uses pisteo, which is the verb form of it. And so the, both these words come from a Hebrew word that uh, is significant, it's aman. And so, you know, when we say amen, we're really using this amazing Hebrew word that says, I completely agree. I'm all in. Amen. Yes. Confirmed. I'm persuaded. I'm moving forward with this. I'm aligned. It's such a significant word. And so here it moves into the New Testament in this word pistas in the noun verb and then uh, pisteo in the verb. John never uses the noun portion of it. It's always active. It's a willingness that we have to place our total confidence in being able to move trust forward and being able to bring safety and goodness to others. And so what we're going to see in John chapter 10 and, and 11 specifically is Jesus capitalizing on what it really means to be able to believe in somebody you can trust. So I want to, uh, just before I jump into 10, I want to acknowledge that in chapter 9, it sets it up. In chapter 9, a man who's blind from birth is made to be able to see. And the leaders, nobody even believes him. They, and they go through all this interrogation. And it comes out where he basically says, look, Jesus did this. You can believe it or not. But this is what he did for me. And, and, and that's kind of where we're going to end up going uh, today. We're going to start from a sense of what, what can you really believe about Jesus based upon the way he moves in another individual's life. In John uh, chapter 10, verse 11, it's a very simple verse, and I just want to read it because I think Jesus truly lays out what he's wanting to communicate about who he is. Read it with me. John chapter 10, verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I find it so significant for us to understand that Jesus even has to t call himself good. You know, he could have said, I am the shepherd, I am the son of God. He's reminding us that he is good. And I think what he's really wanting to do is connect with the sense that we all need to believe in something good, that we all want to be a part of something good. So let's go back to lying for a moment, if we can. 
I think that the reason people lie is because it's so devastating to admit that we're not good. We know that if you're a liar, if you do something wrong, you're going to feel bad. It goes back to the old adage of our moms, you know, trying to convince us by saying, you know, you're not a bad person, you're just making bad choices. It's really, it's worse than that even. When we lie, we know that we've really stepped over into the uh, side of not being trustworthy, of not being able to put the right things and the good things into motion. And so we end up having a sense that we're almost uh, unworthy and that we deserve punishment. And I think what Jesus is wanting us to know is that he is good. And if he's good, he can be counted on to do good things. He can be counted on to be able to lean into even when we're not so good. Or another way of saying this, friends, is we can actually find our goodness in him. That's the way it's supposed to work. And so when we're trying to find our goodness somewhere else, we're actually lying to ourselves. We're moving away from the affirmation that we need. We need to be affirmed. We don't need to be punished. Jesus said it so clear. He said, I came into the world because I love it and I want to save it. I didn't come to condemn it. I'm not here judging it. I'm here because I love you. And so this is an amazing truth. And we make this way too simple or we overlook it. The truth of the matter is that Jesus thinks that we were worthy of him coming as a good shepherd, a good God, and dying on our behalf. If that doesn't make us worthy, what, what does? And what kills me almost is sometimes is that we'll lie about who Jesus is uh, just to not have to uh, admit that he is our Lord or that he is good. There are people who don't believe in Jesus for the wrong reasons. Some of us are looking because we think he's going to judge us, that he's not uh, on our side, that he's not here for us. Jesus laid it out here so clear. Listen, I am the good shepherd, and I come so that you can have life, an abundant life. You're going to find your value in me. You need to be affirmed. You need to be seen as worthy. Yeah, we all deserve correction. If we're, you know, wetting our beds or if we're lying, we need course correction. You don't, you don't want to wet your bed all your life. Come on. But what you don't need is to be degraded for it or made to feel unworthy. What we need is course correction that says, hey, I would lay down my life to help you with that. And that's who Jesus is. I, I can't even tell you how significant it is to be able to lean into the fact that our worthiness is in him and he's proven it by not only coming, but laying down his life for us. It's so much work to try to affirm yourself or to make ourselves feel like we measure up when we don't. We only measure up because of his love for us. We belong to him. So that's really John chapter 10. Now we're going to move to John chapter 11, where it moves to a, another and a deeper level of believing. Here Jesus is going to say, I want you to see and understand the importance of what it means or the value of believing in me. So we know that we need to be believed in. We know that he sees us as worthy of dying on our behalf. That's what he would do to redeem us. And now he's going to say, here's the real benefits of believing. And the, one of the greatest benefits of believing in Christ is found in John chapter 11, verses 25 through 27. And before I read those, I just want to give a little bit of the background. Here Jesus has made uh, some really deep relationships and friendships 
with a family. In this family, their name is Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. There's two sisters and a brother. And it's interesting because we often kind of give Martha a, a bad rap in this. You know, Martha was the one who took care of details, took care of the information. She made sure that all the things were in order. Mary was the one who, you know, cried and anointed Jesus, was at his feet, that would hang on his every words. And Lazarus is the brother, and you really know very little about him other than the fact that Jesus really loved him, and then he dies. And so at this point, what's happening is that the disciples are with Jesus. They're out of, out of the picture. They get word that Lazarus is, is deathly sick. And Jesus, instead of rushing back to heal him, waits. And then he comes after Lazarus uh, is dead. And when I say dead, he's, he's four days dead. He's, he's stinky dead, okay? He's dead, done, dead. And he comes back, and Martha meets him as he's approaching her home. And she comes out, and she has a conversation with him, and it goes sort of like this, you know, I know who you are, Jesus, and had you been here earlier, this may not have happened. You could have prevented my brother from dying. And, and the reason that um, it's so important, we, we need to make sure we understand the culture of that time. In, in this time, if you are a woman, you don't really even have a right to own land. It's, it's so difficult, it's so wrong. But having Lazarus die was more than just an emotional uh, hit for Mary and Martha of a brother they loved. They're not reported to be married. I mean, that could have been their sustenance. That could have been the person that they were protected in life with. And so uh, to have him die was a huge loss for them. So Jesus comes and Martha says, if you would have been here. And then I just want to pick up the conversation that Jesus has with her in John chapter 11. And you're going to see I'm going to just pick up at verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? What a great question. So he's just, he's just pivoting the whole thing. He's saying, you know what, Martha, it and Mary, I want you to understand, it's, it's not so much about what happened to Lazarus. What it's about is, do you believe in me? Am I really the good shepherd? Do you really think that I didn't care enough about Lazarus to get here on time? Why do you think I was mad because he started the lighter in the car and burned a hole in it, so I was holding back to really prove my point? He's coming at the right time in such a way to do something magnificent on behalf of Lazarus, whom he loves. And so he comes and says, Mary, uh, Martha, do you really believe it? Do you understand it? Do you get this portion? And she looks at it and she actually says, yeah, I do believe that. And then she runs and she gets Mary. And uh, verse 27, she said to him, yes, Lord, I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. And when she had said this, she went away and called Mary, her sister, saying secretly, the teacher is here and is calling for you. I can really appreciate the way that uh, Jesus allowed Martha to come into a greater belief. Yeah, you are the one that can raise people from the dead. And he pushes it a little bit harder and says, you know, of course, he's, he's going to come alive 
during the resurrection, during the end. Everyone's going to face judgment. And at that point, even dead people are going to be able to come alive and come to this place of reconciling with God. Yes, you believe that. But you do, do you believe that I am the resurrection? That I have the power to raise uh, even a human being who's dead now? And then he's going to carry that out. And he's literally going to go to Lazarus and he's going to call Lazarus out of the grave and call him from being four days dead to being alive. And everybody at that point has to believe something very different about Jesus. It's no longer, maybe, maybe if we follow him and when we die, maybe we'll get to go to heaven. At this point, it's, oh my God, he just raised a dead person. This is the real stuff. You're forced to have to acknowledge that no one can do that and that God himself did that type of a miracle. I want my believer to move from a Martha believing that says, yeah, I believe about Jesus, you are God. One day I'm going to die and go to heaven and be with you and everything's going to be okay. I want to be pushed out of that. And I want my believer to be at a whole nother level that says, you know what? You are the resurrection. You're the way. You're the life. I'm all in with you. There's a culture in our society today that comes from a what you would call a fatalistic or nihilist origin. And so if I can digress just a little bit, Frederick Nietzsche in the 1800s began this movement that said, you can't count on anything. You can't believe in anything. The only thing that you can believe in is yourself. And so he went out on this uh, mindset that said nothing matters, basically. The only thing that really matters is that you don't fall prey to believing in anything. And it's kind of interesting, so we call it uh, a fatalistic uh, point of view. He came up with this mindset because it, to him it was safe. If you have to believe in something, then, then you're seen as needing to rely on it. And he didn't want to rely on anything. And then there's also a sense that if you want to believe in something, that's almost like a sign that you're weak that you need to be affirmed. And so he would not put himself in those camps. And so instead of needing to admit that he wanted to be affirmed or, or putting himself out there to be vulnerable and to have to trust and maybe be disappointed was something he was unwilling to do. So he just locked in and said, none of that is, is real. It's all human-made constructs for their own little weakness. And there was a whole philosophical camp that uh, originated or grew out of that and I would say it, it was even there before Nietzsche. It was all the way back when you read the last chapter in the book of Judges where it says, and every man did what was right in his own sight. There's a sense that we don't want to rely on other people because we may be disappointed or it may be seen as a sign of weakness. And what's interesting, right at the same time, there was another camp that was created. It was called the Omnis. And I'm sure some of you know these things, but it's by a famous English poet, and it's Bailey, and what he came up with is, he, he said, it's just the opposite of what Nietzsche is saying. It's you can believe in everything on me. So everything matters. Uh, everything is good. Everything's believable. In both of these camps, I'm just suggesting, are going to take you down the wrong place. One, so if you, if you are looking for truth, in one they would say there is no truth to find. In the other one they would say everything's truth. Or if you're looking 
to try to hear something specific. One says there's no voice to hear. The other says, well, you have to listen to everything. It literally goes, neither of them go anywhere. And I just want to acknowledge that what Jesus Christ was saying here when he said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes me will never die. Even if he dies, he will live. What Jesus was saying is that there is a real truth. And there may be times when it's hard for us to lean into it and see it, but he's not lying. He is the truth. And as you learn to trust in him and that he's good, he's going to take our human limits and be able to show us things that are beyond what we're able to comprehend or understand or lean into. So can he be trusted? I would like to say that the trust factor is going to be found when you read the entire chapters of 10 and 11, and I encourage you to do it, because here's, here's the conclusion. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, and my sheep are going to be able to hear my voice. And I'm not here to disappoint them. I'm not here to lose them. I'm here to make sure that they can hear from me and get their affirmation from me. To hear God's voice changes everything. And that's what causes us to believe on a whole nother level. I would love for you to be able to hear his voice. I, I don't want to make it up. I don't want to lie. I'm, you know, I'm acknowledging to you that there's been times in my life where I've heard his voice. And he wants you to hear his voice even right now. So I'm, I'm going to encourage you to do something. I'm going to encourage you to go like this. Uh, sometimes I'm a liar. I've lied. And sometimes I've done other things that... Uh, caused me to believe less about myself than I should. But at this moment right now, I want to believe that God himself would speak to me. I really want to believe that. And maybe you haven't heard, you haven't sensed, and maybe you're even nervous about acknowledging that, but I'm asking you just to say it. And now here's, here's how it's going to work. There's three different ways of hearing from the Lord. One is through being able to sense him um, in truth, and it can be written, it can be in our Bible reading. Another might be from being able to have prayer and dialogue with others. And then another is just by having the Lord interrupt our lives and say something to us. I'm kind of looking for that one right now, okay? And so what I'm believing about Jesus is that when he came, and as the good shepherd and he laid his life down, he did three things. Number one, and these are all in the theories and uh, the proofs, I'd rather say proof of atonement. In the atonement, you'll see that he was the one who substituted his life for ours. And people say there had to be a substitution because of the fact that there had to be a payment. So Jesus paid what we couldn't in terms of being perfect to be able to hear from the Lord. Well, I'm not even sure the Lord ever expected us to be perfect. He just expects us to believe in him as and for our perfection. And the other thought is that Jesus had to die to take the penalty of sin. And so our sin actually created anger from God. And so God had his wrath and he had to have it fulfilled. You know, I think it does anger God to see his people not coming to him and trusting in him. I think there is an anger element to that. But, but God isn't mad at us right now. God is calling us home. That's why he came as a good shepherd to lay his life down. So if you can just say, wait a minute, Lord, if, if there's a payment to be made, would you make it? Would you, would you allow me to find my righteousness in you, my worthiness from you? 
And if you're thinking that you deserve to be punished, can you just admit maybe you just need to be corrected? There's a different. Maybe you really are worthy, so worthy that he'd be willing to lay down his life for you. And when you, when you acknowledge that to him at the end of this message, which is now, would you just take some time and just say, Lord, I really would love to hear from you. Can I believe in you? And what does it mean for me to believe in you? I can tell you that when you do that, your trust factor will go from maybe one day I'll die to go to heaven to he is heaven. It'll go from I wonder if I can believe in Jesus to I trust Jesus. That's what we're looking for and that's what he's looking for. Well, I bless you in this quest to really know God on that level. May he touch your heart in a way that's never been touched before. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's Redeemed Church podcast. If you want to receive prayer or need anything from the Redeemed community, please visit us at redeemed.church. You can get the latest from Redeemed by signing up for our email newsletter, following us on Instagram, or liking our Facebook page. Also, you can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Store, and Spotify. Thanks for joining us this week.